Okay, well, so we're starting, this morning we're starting a new series. We're starting a series, and it's good to see. Look, you're already reaching for your Bibles. This is good, because you know where we're going. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do a series really for, this is our major teaching series now for, the, for this year, and we'll do it in a couple of blocks. Uh, but it's, we're going to work through a book of the Bible, and we do this each year as a church because we believe in the power of God's Word, and we believe in expository preaching of just opening up the Scriptures and working through. We're going to be teaching through the first book written in the New Testament. Not Matthew, but Galatians. All right? So I, I know you knew that was coming. It wasn't a big surprise. But um, most of the time we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John written first, and then later on Paul's letters, the other letters come afterwards. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. Uh, Paul and the other writers of the letters in the New Testament wrote their stuff first, and then after all that had happened, or after almost all of those letters had been written, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, came along, and then they wrote their histories about Jesus. So in fact, John was the last book in the New Testament to be written, which kind of sounds weird from an historical perspective, but that's actually how it happened. So this document, this letter called Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, is actually the first letter, the first book of the whole New Testament written right smack bang in the middle of the first century. And so it just takes us into all of the controversy and the world of the early Jesus movement as it was getting going and as it was, as it was spreading beyond Jerusalem and Judea into the Greco-Roman world. Uh, this letter takes us into the tensions and the problems and the issues and the excitement and the anticipation of this movement around Jesus of Nazareth that is starting to really get some momentum, but is also hitting some really serious challenges. Now, let me encourage you, uh, in preparation for this series and just something to do over the next little while, read this book. Not this whole book. I mean, that's good too, but read Galatians. It's only six chapters long. It's, it's like what, a 15, 20-minute read max. Uh, and if you can read it, like sometime this week, if you can put aside the time, read it in one sitting. Because you've got to remember, that's how it was heard, and that's how it was written. I, I, I don't think that the churches sat around and sort of, well, let's, let's just read these three verses this morning. They, it was a letter, right? When you read a letter, when you open someone's letter, you read it from start to finish most of the time. So it's good to read all six chapters, and it's short enough you can do that easily. It gives you a sense of the whole thing, gives you a sense of how it flows, how it works, the logic of Paul's arguments. So just have a read of it. Don't worry too much about if you don't understand a whole bunch of stuff, if there's words that don't make, just, just read it. And it will give you some basic familiarity that you can bring to these times, and then that's a base on which we can build. Now, what's, what's probably going to happen is when, when you read Galatians, what tends to happen is you kind of feel like the first time you read it or the tenth time you read it, you, it's, it kind of feels like you're walking in on a movie that's about 15 minutes in. Have you ever done this? You know, you, I mean, I personally hate being late for any, anything. Punctuality is one of my greatest virtues. But uh, if you've ever walked in late on a movie, you know, you, you've missed like 10, 15 minutes, uh, you timed it wrong, and so you're sitting there and you spend then the next 20 minutes doing what? You're like, you're trying to figure out, who is that guy? And why is, why is he saying this? And what's, what's that situation they're alluding to? And why are they doing that? You, you're just trying to piece it back together because you missed this whole thing at the beginning, which was often quite critical. That's how it's that's how it happens with the book of Galatians. What, what's, what's happening when you read Galatians, it's like you're coming into a story that's already underway. 
And some of the most important turning points in the story have already happened. And so you can easily feel a bit confused and spend most of your time going, "How? why is Paul saying this? What, who are these people? What's the problem? I don't get it. I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to catch up here. So what I want to do this morning is, is try to bring us up to speed with the story. To, to fill in the first 15 minutes of the movie so that we can then go forward and, okay, now I know why he's doing this, why he's saying that. All right. So this is going to be a lot of background, but I think it's going to help to just give us a clear indication of what's going on in Galatia, what's going on in this letter. So Galatians is written by this guy called Paul. Uh, Paul the Apostle, Paul of Tarsus, he is known by various names. I'm not going to say too much more about Paul because we are running a whole course on Paul's life. It starts next Sunday night if you want to come along. I'm going to be doing a four-week course uh, just talking through the life of Paul, just an extraordinary man, uh, the earliest Christian missionary, really. Uh, the reason that most of us are sitting here today who aren't Jewish is because of Paul's ministry and legacy into the Gentile world. Uh, and we're just going to, over four weeks, go from Paul's birth to Paul's death and everything in between, every letter, every part of his life, and uh, we'll cover it. So I don't want to go into that too much today, but the details are in your bulletin for that. And uh, feel free to come along. It's going to be fun. Uh, there'll be question and answer. We'll read plenty of scriptures together and just get a sense of who this guy was. And that will help you put this letter into context of where it fits in Paul's whole life, which is also very, very helpful. You see, where, where, what's, what's going on with Paul when he writes this letter to the Galatians? Now, for today, though, let me just say this. Paul, at this point, when he, when he writes Galatians, he's just been on, over the last few months, over the last year, he's been on this trip around Turkey. He's been on this church planning trip around Turkey. It wasn't called Turkey then. Uh, it was split up into a bunch of different provinces. One of them was called Galatia. Uh, and Paul has just come back from this church planting missions trip. He's been planting little communities of Jesus people in urban centers, metropolitan centers, through this region of Galatia, uh, cities like Lystra and Derby and Iconium. Uh, and in each place, there's just now a little huddle of Jesus people. And there wasn't before. They, they hadn't heard the message. There were some Jews there and plenty of non-Jews, but there are now some little churches, a collection of little churches. So Paul and uh, Barnabas have been on this trip. They've, they've come back now to home base, which for Paul is this place called Antioch. And Paul's just carrying on. He was a pastor at the time, and he's carrying on pastoring this church in Antioch, having done his big church planting tour. And then Paul gets this message from somebody who has been in Galatia. You know, they didn't have, it wasn't email, no text, no Twittering, so Paul's reliant on the old school methods here. Someone just comes to him, he's been around Galatia, and he says, now Paul, there's something going on among your churches in Galatia that I think you need to be aware of. And what's happening is this, what has happened is this. After Paul left Galatia, some other Christian missionaries came into town. Now I say Christian missionaries because that's how they understood themselves, that's how the Galatians thought about them. That's who they at least believed they were, Christian missionaries. And they came along and they, in a lot of ways, they talked about the same sort of stuff Paul talked about. They talked a lot about Jesus. They talked a lot about God. They, you know, believed the gospel. Um, they talked about salvation. And they affirmed some things that Paul was affirming. But there was a critical point at which these Christian missionaries just took off in a totally different line to, to what Paul had been saying. And they basically said this. They said, 
Now, it's great that you guys are following Jesus. This is fantastic. That's absolutely essential. Don't get us wrong. But you need to be aware that as well as following Jesus, you also need to become Jewish. That's the heart of it. You say, why would that be important? Because what they, what they argued is this. God's promises have always come through Israel. So it, Jesus is critical, but you've got to remember God said to Abraham way back in the day, he said, through your offspring will all nations be blessed. Through your offspring, Abraham, through the children of Israel. That's how the promises are going to come. That's how the blessing is going to come. So yes, Jesus is central, but it's all got to come through the gate of Israel. It's got to come through the funnel here. And so really, if you want to kind of seal the salvation that you have in Jesus, if you want to complete it, if you want to be a real Christian, you really need to be part of the chosen people. You really need to be part of the team here, part of the tribe. You've got to be part of Israel. Now, obviously, there's a problem here because a lot of the people in these churches are just not Jews. They're Greeks, Romans, Scythians, Iconians, wherever. These people are not inherently Jewish. So what these teachers do is they say, well, obviously, we can't just change your ethnicity. But what we can do is this. You need to take on Judaism as a system of belief, as a way of living, as a set of practices. And central among this is if you're a guy... You've got to get circumcised. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, you can ask the elders after church. They'll be happy to tell you. But this was, this was the biggie. This was the thing that if you're, because this was the mark of being part of the covenant people. It's the physical mark of you are a child of Abraham. You are a, a, an Israelite in every sense. This is why Paul himself in Philippians 3, when he's listing his credentials of Jewishness, he mentions circumcised on the eighth day. I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm on the team, you know. And so these, these teachers said, you've really got to get circumcised because this is what makes you part of the chosen people. And then in addition to that, you need to take on the Jewish law, the Torah. And that means you need to observe the dietary laws. You can only eat kosher food. You've got to observe the Sabbath laws. You've got to be careful what you do on Saturdays. And you've got to observe the Jewish festivals, particular days uh, of the year, festivals, feast days. You've got to make sure you observe those properly. If you do these things, as long as you do these things, no problem. You're in. You can consider yourself fully part of the team, part of God's family, heirs of the promise. But if you don't do these things, then you kind of only got a half salvation. You know, you've got Jesus and that's good, but you've got, to, you've got to do the whole deal. It's got to be Jesus and Judaism. Now, this teaching, people who promote this, are known as Judaizers. That's not a term that they gave themselves or Paul gave themselves, but that is what people who have read these writings give them because it describes those who seek to conform others to Judaism as a system as well as Jesus. Judaizers. Now this gets back to Paul. How does Paul respond to this message that after you left, there's some teachers coming in and they're now saying Jesus is good but he's not really enough? that you've also got to have this Jewish... Paul is absolutely ropeable. Paul is utterly furious. I mean, this isn't, for Paul, this is not like, oh, well, that's a shame, but, you know, we can, we can agree to disagree on that stuff, or, you know, it's just a minor thing that Christians can disagree on sometimes. For Paul, this strikes at the very heart 
of the gospel. It strikes at the very heart of Christian freedom. It strikes at the foundation of everything that he has taught these Galatians. And Paul is just beside himself. He is furious at these Judaizers. He calls them agitators who have come in and distorted his gospel. He talks about promoting a whole other gospel. He doesn't even call it the same gospel that he's talking about. These people that claim to be Christians, these people that have come in under the auspices of the Jerusalem church and have come in and leading these people astray, and Paul is just going crazy. And he's furious as well because these teachers have come into his churches and it's not like all of his converts have just said, oh, well, we don't agree with that. That's not what Paul told us. They've actually bought it. They're, they're, they're going with it. You know, the guys are getting circumcised. They're starting to eat kosher. They're observing all people that aren't Jewish. They're just doing all these things because they think that's what they've got to do to be good Christians, to be accepted, to be part of the team. And Paul is like, what have I, have I not taught you anything? He says in, in chapter 3, or is it 4, he says, you foolish Galatians. Some of the harshest language that Paul uses anywhere is here. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? He says. First thing he says in chapter 1 when he gets into the letter, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Paul is just fired up. And in his fury and in his passion and in his despair and his anxiety over the health of these churches, he pens this letter. Well, he doesn't actually write it. He, 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 he dictates it, this letter. He's dictating it to a secretary or a scribe. And so you kind of, you don't imagine Paul like sitting at a desk, you know, with a pen like we usually think of him. Paul's pacing the room. You know, he's dictating to this guy, this scribe who's like freaked out, you know, doesn't even want to ask anything. So that's why, seriously, like in Galatians, there are times Paul doesn't even finish his sentences properly. And the scribe is like too embarrassed, too, oh, I'm not even going to go there, you know, let's just go with what, what he said, okay, you know, whatever. Paul is just like, you foolish Galatians, he's just, it's just coming out, it's hasty, it's fiery, it's passionate, and this is, this is, this is the first letter Paul's ever dictated to his churches, and out it goes. And this letter then gets carried out and given to these various churches in Galatia. And that's the letter that we now have as the letter to the Galatians. So when you read it, see if you can hear some of that fire. See if you can hear some of that. I mean, there's some aggression in there. Paul calls down a curse on anybody that doesn't preach the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. He is really, really going at it in this letter. And so let that be the kind of tone that you read this letter with. It's not a nice, gentle, whimsical letter, you know, like Philippians or even Romans. This is harsh. This is, I mean, it's serious, this situation. Now, you step, you step back from all of this. And the question that comes out is, what does this mean for us? Or so what? Because Galatians deals with a situation that's really quite specific to the first century. I mean, last I checked, there's not a lot of Judaizers wandering around today trying to encourage people to get circumcised and take on the Jewish law. It's not really, a, maybe it's bigger than I think, but I, I don't see this too much today. You know, this was a pretty particular problem. So it leaves us with this question of, well, is Galatians then just an interesting historical book and no more? Is it just something that gives us an insight into what was going on, but doesn't really say anything to what is going on today? And yet centuries and generations of Christians have found that as well as being incredibly insightful as to the situation in the first century, Galatians has something to say to us. The Galatians is for us a vehicle of the Spirit of God speaking 
to people today. It is relevant. It is applicable. And there is something here for us if we have the ears to hear it. Even though there's no Judaizers today of the type that there were in the first century, I would argue that Judaizing is alive and well today. Maybe not in terms of people trying to conform others to Judaism. But if you think of Judaizing as any attempt to conform people to something in addition to Jesus, this kind of Jesus plus something gospel, this kind of idea that Jesus is not quite enough, that as well as that you've got to do this, you've got to think that, you've got to be part of this, this kind of tendency, this I think, is getting at the same principle of Judaizing that Paul was up against. A couple of years ago, um, Anna and I spent two years in the States. We lived in Ohio for two years. And that was interesting as as a cross-cultural experience because even though, I mean, you know, in Ohio, we, we were kind of in the buckle of the Bible Belt there. You know, this was like heartland America, much more socially, morally conservative than here. And even though there's a lot of similarities, there are also a lot of differences with Kiwi culture. And you start to realize this over time. And we started to realize too after a while that there are also a lot of differences in Christian culture over there. Christians just, it seemed like a slight bit bit of a shift in some of the ways they thought, some of the things they did. And you pick it up more easily when you're not used to it, when you're coming in from the outside. I'm sure that people would come the other way and see things we don't see. But some of the things we observed were these. Christianity over there, at least white, kind of middle-class Christianity, tends to be very politically conservative. If you're a middle-class white Christian living in Cincinnati, it is almost unheard of that, that you'd be a Democrat. You're almost definitely a Republican. And sometimes this is more overt than other times, but this is just kind of how... It was kind of just this expectation that if if you're a Christian, then this is how politically you are going to lean. There's this interesting kind of patriotism that goes on, whereby I think people understand themselves not just as Christians, but as American Christians. And so you have this national identity and religious identity kind of fused together, and sometimes I think people have a hard time separating those out. You have a very morally conservative culture. So over there, to, to have alcohol is really, really looked down on if you're, if you're a good Christian. It just doesn't happen. And, and most people, most Christians would say they don't have a problem with it in principle, but it's just not, you just don't really do it. And if you do, it's kind of, you're just slightly looked at strangely. Over here, it's almost the opposite. You're looked at strangely if you don't. We've got the opposite issue. But over there, it's like, if you, you really, you drink, you know, you kind of just slightly. And there, there were just these things that kind of came up. Now, I'm not saying that this is all equivalent to what Paul faced, but some of the tendencies in there start to replicate this idea of Judaizing. When, in the subtlest of ways, we start to kind of assume or expect or or treat people as if kind of Jesus is not quite enough. You know, you also need to make sure you're aligned with this political ideology here. You know, whenever we kind of talk about a denomination or a, or a movement or a religious affiliation in such a way that it becomes kind of like a test of whether you're a real Christian, you know, it's it, it, great, awesome that you're a Christian, but 
Are, are you part of this denomination? Are you Baptist? Are you a Presbyterian? Or are you, are you non-denominational? Because that, that's the best way. You don't want to go to these denominations. You've got to be separate. You know, whenever we start speaking like this in a way that elevates one way above another way, we're starting to become Judaizers. Again, nothing wrong with denominations. But what we're saying is, when you do these things in a way that starts to detract from the absolute supremacy of Jesus and the absolute sufficiency of the Holy Spirit, you're starting to become a Judaizer. Whenever you say, hey, you know, great, awesome that you're a Christian. Now, really what you need to do is you need to kind of have this political ideology here. This is the way Christians think about politics. You know, this right here. You know, don't you know, Christians generally are right wing. You know, this is, you know, pro-family over here. Or don't you know, Christians, you know, always kind of social liberals. We've got a concern for the poor and the needy and the outcast. This is who, you know, and you start putting these things almost as if they're the essence of a person's relationship with Christ. We've got to be careful because we can become Judaizers. We can start to do exactly what these agitators were doing in Galatia. Whenever we kind of promote our, our little movement or our cause or something, this lobby that we're involved in, and we say, you know, you've got to be part of this thing. And we push it so hard that it becomes kind of almost equivalent to being a Christian or as if you need to become a real Christian. We're starting to go down the road of Judaizing. Whenever we promote religious experiences, this is a thorny territory, isn't it? But experiences, which can be good and godly and rich, but when we start talking about them in a way like, well, great that you're a Christian, but have you had, the, have you had this experience? You know, whatever, whether it's baptism in the Holy Spirit or particular expressions of charismatic gifts or just a way of maybe worshipping or relating to God, whatever it is. And we start putting that up like, you know, if you're a real Christian, you'd kind of have this notch in your belt. You know, if you want to be a true, if you really want to be part of the family, you really got to do this. You got to have this. And we might not even articulate it like that, but we just kind of assume it and we treat people with that little bit of distance if they haven't had the right experience. Whenever we start clinging to a particular author or speaker or, or, or Christian kind of school of thought, you know how these things come and go, these little fads. And, and we grab onto this great speaker or teacher or book or whatever course thing. And it's like, man, if you're a real Christian, you've got to do this. You've got to just, don't you listen to this guy? Don't you read this lady? Aren't you listening to you know? And it's almost like it just becomes this thing where you're not quite in the family if you're not quite part of this deal. You know, we've got to be careful because we are going down the road and we do those things of Judaizing. Again, nothing wrong with loving particular speakers, conferences, whatever. But we start pushing them up and up and up until it's almost like they're kind of, is there really a difference in your mind between this and Jesus? We're almost putting them on the same plane. It's Jesus plus this person over here. We've got to be careful, guys, because this can be a form of Judaizing. When we put a little moral code around people and we go beyond encouraging a godly lifestyle and teaching that, and we sort of almost sort of put these parameters, these behavioral expectations around people in such a way that it actually detracts from Jesus and focuses them more on the behavior, we are starting to become Judaizers. Whenever we do these kinds of things, whenever we say you've got to subscribe to this particular doctrinal thing, you know, beyond just affirming the great truths of the faith, it's like, I've got my little doctrinal hobby horse over here. You've got to be this, you know? Aren't you a post-tribulational, premillennial, post-rapture eschatologicist, you know, whatever? 
This is like the thing, you know, surely you know, saved is good, but then this is better. This is, you know, and, we, and of course you never talk about it like that, but if this is the way our minds start to work, you've got to subscribe to this view on baptism, this view of predestination, this view of whatever, you know, stuff that actually doesn't matter. We start to push that stuff up in our minds so that we make it matter. We've got to be careful. We are walking a dangerous road and we're starting to fall into the trap that Paul is encountering in Galatians. So you, what you see is, I think this Judaizing deal is actually huge. When you start to tease it out into life, into the various spheres, it doesn't just have to be a Judaism thing. It can be anything that detracts from the absolute supremacy of Jesus and the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. Anything that takes away from those and kind of pushes our little agenda, our little thing up here, making it equal, we are becoming Judaizers. And we'll tease some of these applications out as we go along. Now, a couple of things just as we wrap up here. Whenever you encounter Judaizing today, whenever you encounter this in any form, there's always particular consequences. You see it in Galatians, and you'll see it uh, in, in applications today. There's always some things that happen. One is that Judaizing always creates boundaries between people and between groups of people. Boundaries that the gospel came to eliminate. It puts up fences. The boundary that the, the Judaizing gospel is putting up is this boundary between Jew and Gentile. It's a nationalistic boundary. It's actually a subtle form of racism. These Judaizers are basically saying if you want to be in, fully in, you've got to be Jewish. You have to be Jewish. Otherwise, there's just no way. Now, I'm not in any way being anti-Semitic. I'm just saying when you put up that boundary so that the only possible way to know and follow Jesus is to be Jewish, we are creating a boundary that Christ actually came to abolish. This is why Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul's big on this. He's saying, guys, it's not that these differences aren't there. It's not that Jew, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile physically or nationally. It's that these differences don't matter. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. The cross is the great equalizer. It flattens everything out and it pulls us all together and we are one family. God came to set up one family through Abraham, not a separate little Gentile family and a Jewish family over here. He came to bring us all together. I think one of the subtle themes in Galatians is actually this nationalistic, almost like this, this racial issue. And this has profound application today, I think, as we look at the way sometimes we can actually push cultural norms on other people. And it's like to be a Christian, you've got to become this kind of New Zealand white middle class Christian sometimes. And, and, and we might not even think about it that way, but it just kind of this culture starts to become so enmeshed with the gospel that we have a hard time teasing out what is pure and what are we just kind of adding or requiring in addition to what's really important. Second thing that happens with Judaizing, it always leads to judging. And this goes without saying. I mean, clearly, these Judaizers that come into town, they tell you, you're not actually fully in the family. Great that you follow Jesus, but are you circumcised? Nope, sorry, keep you at a distance. It leads to this judging. It leads to the pushing away, the distancing, the looking down your nose. And man, who among us is not guilty of this? Who among us is not in this trap so much of the time? We, we sum people up in our minds. We write them off. I already know everything I need to know about that person, and we're just so quick. We're dismissive. We're judgmental. We're critical. Galatians is going to confront that. 
Galatians is going to speak directly to that issue, that tendency we have, maybe not even through our words, but the way we think. We will slate people, write them off, look down our noses at them. And Paul is going to say, guys, this is not on in the family of God. This is not the way of the cross. This is not the way of the kingdom. And on the flip side of this, Judaizing creates for those who are subjects of it, it creates, objects of it rather, it creates a performance mentality. For for these Christians just trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, they're confronted with this message like, I've got to do what? And what with a knife? And what the, you know? Okay. And, And they're like, well, they really want to be in. They want to be accepted, and so they, they do because they want to be part of the family. And they, you know, I mean, I think Paul would argue they do know better, they should know better, but still they, they just want to follow God. They think they're doing the right thing, and it leads to this desire to do whatever it is we've got to do, do whatever you're telling me to do because I want to be part of the family. I want to be accepted. I want to be loved by God. And we focus then more on doing the thing, joining the movement, listening to the speaker, having the experience, reading the right book, ticking the right doctrinal, those things become the deal. Jesus becomes more and more sidelined. This is why Paul will say it's a different gospel, not even the same one, because the foundation's different. You've taken Jesus away, effectively. This has become the focus. This has become what it's all about. It creates this performance, and many of us are trapped in this, right? We're just, just, I've got to conform. I want to be part of the team. Whatever sort of currents of thought or pressure is on us to conform, we want to be conformers. And Paul says the only thing you need to be conformed to is the death of Christ. That's it. Death of Christ. And that brings freedom. This is the flip side of the negative message of Galatians. Let me end with this because it is quite, you know, it's negative, it's fiery. Paul's, you know, having a go at these Judaizers and these people that are listening to them. But the flip side, the positive message of Galatians is simply this. You are free in Christ. Free, 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 free. Freedom. Look, as you read, try and listen out for the metaphor of freedom and slavery. It's all the way through. Don't be slaves. Be free. You're free. You're free. You're free. Do I need to say it again? You're free. You are free indeed. And if you're not feeling free, then Galatians is going to be a great book for you. If you feel like your Christian life is actually not characterized by freedom, you need to get into this series because something's come unstuck. Something is wrong. It doesn't mean you always emotionally feel completely liberated perhaps, but there is a deep sense of freedom and liberation in Jesus Christ. You don't need to conform to this, meet that person's expectations, join this movement, believe it. Jesus alone, Jesus alone, Jesus alone. He is what sets us free. It's the freedom that comes through the Spirit of Christ. This is why Paul says, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, don't let yourselves go back to a yoke of slavery. But be free, not free to just live a debauched, depraved life, but free from sin, free to put sin to death, free to be unbound from the shackles of whatever is holding you back, addictions, habits, character flaws, weakness. You can actually be free from all that through the power of the Spirit. You don't need to conform to those things. Don't need to live in darkness any longer. You're free, you're free, you're free. It's a liberating message. It's a message of hope. It's good news. Gospel, good news, right? It is good news. There's going to be some negative stuff for sure. But with Paul, it's always both sides of the coin. He can't talk about death without talking about resurrection. It's always both and. So next week, we are going to jump in to Galatians 1, verse 1. If you have a chance this week, read it for yourself. So bring yourself up to speed with it. And then we're going to get into the text of the letter next week. Plenty to sink our teeth into. For now, let's pray. God, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for this ancient document that's been preserved in the Bible for us. And we thank you that as well as speaking to us about this 
incredible situation that your servant Paul faced. It speaks with volume to us about our own lives. And even today we hear that, Lord. We hear this message of freedom that's grabbing at our souls. We hear this challenge, Lord, to those of us that may be a little guilty of Judaizing in the way we think about others, treat others, just think about faith. Lord, we hear the challenge of those of us that might be Judaized, that might be conforming to things that just, you know, we're trying to get ahead. And Lord, maybe we realize today that those things aren't as important. They may not be bad, but they're not you. And Father, all we want is you. All we want is Christ alone. You are our hope. You are our deliverer. You are our refuge and our strength and our strong tower and our mighty fortress. And you and you alone are the one who comes and breathes grace and mercy. So let us, Father, cling this week so strongly to you, to Jesus alone, and let everything else flow from that. All these other things that can be good, but let them come out of our absolute sufficiency in you. Father, I pray your blessing on this series this year. Use it to teach us, but use it to transform us, I pray that it would be a journey we go through as a church to be liberated and freed through the blood of Jesus together. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.